Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called Morenevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Hi, everybody. It's uh, Danielle Karapkin speaking to you live from Thornhill, Ontario at the Bayat. We are studying Morena Vuchim. We are now in section two, chapter 44. We are learning about the Rambam's uh, shita, his his whole line of reasoning as to what the prophetic experience is all about, how a person achieves prophecy, what a person sees within a prophecy, and what, what the nature of prophecy is all about. We've had a lot to say about this, and we're coming towards the end of this discussion, but the Rambam still has a lot more to clarify. Uh, and so at the beginning of chapter four, we're going to see a very brief review of what he said to date. And then he's going to explain to us in this chapter, which is quite short, sort of um, a uh, to lay down a foundation that prophecy is variegated, that it, it can present itself in a number of different ways to different kinds of people with different abilities uh, for prophecy. So let's get started in this in this in this uh, very short chapter, and then my goal is to start chapter forty five, which is a much much lengthier chapter, as you'll see. And chapter forty five will take us at least two, perhaps even three weeks uh, of these short sessions to get through. So the first thing that I'd like to do is to share my screen with you, and as we say all the time. Um, those of you who are listening to this via podcast and only have the audio, you can always download the um, uh, this handout uh, in one of two ways. There is a Facebook group called Shi'ur in Moren Vuchim, and the, the handouts are available there. And you can go to the webyeshiva.org um, website, go to the description for this course, chapter 44, and it is right there for you to download. And of course, we are using the Web Yeshiva platform, which is a platform that contains a whole variety of Torah courses for every single person. Okay, so the Rambam starts off this chapter, and it's in the Pines edition on page 394, and he tells us to review. So the first thing he wants us to know that we're just bringing you up to date just to give you a brief synopsis of what we studied up until now. And there are two points that he wants to make. Number one is that prophecy is an endowment to the intellect occurring only in a vision or dream. Using the philosophical terminology, it's an epistemological experience that occurs in the mind. There is nothing that occurs in the outside world uh, that would manifest uh, itself to a prophet. Prophecies are always in the minds and not in the outside, not in, not in the ontological reality of the out, outside world. Point number two, the prophet per, perceives the prophetic message 
in the form of a metaphorical image. And we talked a lot about that in our discussion in chapter 43. And we suggested, although the Rambam did not explain to us why that phenomenon is true, but we explained that it, it, it has to do with the idea of just as a person will dream metaphors and uh, you know that are implanted by his subconscious and have to unpack them and interpret them the same thing is true with with prophecies many times the message is an extremely powerful shocking or traumatic message and it therefore needs to be presented via metaphor in order to enable the prophet to slowly um, digest it and unpack it and then present it to the people to whom he has been dispatched so that's point number one point number two the rambam then goes in this first paragraph is that the vision conveys a message via a speaker who is part of this metaphorical vision and this speaker takes different forms the prophet will quite often hear a voice and the voice will utter words that accompany the vision as we pointed out that that's not always the case but it's usually the case that accompanying a vision will be words so uh, the Rambam tells us that the person speaking to the prophet in the vision can take on a number of different images. The vision can be of God himself speaking with the prophet. And while it's difficult to understand what the image actually is, but the prophet is aware that when he's hearing the words, he's hearing them directly from God. And it's not clear what the image that he sees of this, because God has no image, obviously, but some representation of God in, the, in that image. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, the famous uh, vision of, of Isaiah where he sees the angel saying, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. And then he has, the, right afterwards, he sees a vision of Vayof Eli Echad Min HaSerafim, that one of the seraph angels flew towards me, and he had a coal in his hand, and he took the coal from off of the altar, and he touches the coal to my mouth, um, which is, as the commentaries explain, is a form of punishment to Isaiah for having called the Jewish people an, an impure people, and he didn't know, therefore, how he was going to convey to them his, prophe his prophecy. So the, the angel has to atone for him. And then it says in verse number eight in that chapter, Va'eshma et kol adoshem omer. I heard the voice of God speaking. Et mi eshlach lech lanu. Who, who shall I send to give a message to the Jewish people? Va'omar hinini shalacheni. And I, Isaiah, said, Here I am. I am prepared. You can send me. Now, that's therefore the idea that Isaiah has a vision of God himself speaking to him. But then there are other times where the vision can be of the, the party speaking is an angel, and the angel speaks to a prophet, and this occurs a number of times uh, in Tanakh. One, the two examples that the Rambam brings are one from the book of Zechariah and the other one from the book of Daniel, where you see, Vayan Hamalach Adoverbi, Zechariah chapter 4, the angel responds, and the one that was speaking to me, Vayomer Eli, Halo Yadata Mahema Ela, do you not know what this vision represents, this vision of the menorah that we read for the Haftarah for Chanukah? And, and uh, Zechariah says, I don't understand the image that I've just seen. And Vayan Vayomer Eli Lemor. And then the angel proceeded to unpack and explain what the vision meant. And that it meant that there was going to be a very, very um, uh, speedy rebuilding of the temple that would take place 
through the through an act of God. And then in the book of Daniel, chapter 8, it says, echad kadosh medaber. I heard a holy being speaking. So you see very clearly that that's a reference to an angel. So that's the second uh, way that a, a prophet can be communicated to in his vision. The third is that the vision can be of a human being speaking with a prophet. And this is found in the book of Yechezkel, an example of this, where it says, oti shama, that God or an angel brought me to a certain place in my, the vision of my prophecy. Ish mar ehu there was a man standing there who looked like he was made out of copper. Upetil pishtim biado. And he had, it was, he was holding a, a string that was made out of flax, and he had a measuring stick, and he's standing at the gate. And then it says, Vayidaber Elai Haish, and the man spoke to me. So this is not an angelic being, it's, a, it's in the form of a human being. And so there's a, a purpose for a, a vision with a human being being the source of the speech. Now the Rambam doesn't explain to us why sometimes the speaker is God, sometimes it's an angel, and sometimes it's a human being. But if we were to look at the totality of this chapter, I think we'll come to understand that there are different types of prophecies for different levels of spiritual prophetic success that a prophet achieves. And sometimes a prophet achieves a very lofty level of prophecy where he experiences God himself speaking to the prophet. Sometimes the prophet has a lower level of prophecy and that results in a, a, uh, a being who is not God but is a dispatched representative speaking to him. Sometimes it'll be an angel, sometimes it'll be a man. All of this, if we look at the totality of the chapter, I think that will become clear momentarily, that it all depends on the preparedness of the prophet and the level of prophecy he's achieving. And then the fourth possibility that the Rambam gives us as far as what that voice, who the speaker is, the vision can precede the voice that conveys the message and the prophet does not see the speaker at all. It's a disembodied voice. And many times a prophet will have a vision the vision will be conveying one message, and then after the vision, the prophet will hear a voice. The voice is not associated necessarily with the previous vision. It's a disembodied voice, which is after you've seen this, now I, get, I need to give you a separate message. An example of this is in the book of Daniel. kol adam ulai, right? I heard the sound of a human being within the river called Ulai. And the voice called out and said to the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, explain to this man, this prophet Daniel, what the purpose or the meaning of the vision is. So it's a disembodied voice. It's not addressing the vision directly, but it comes after the vision for some reason. Another example is from the book of Yechezkel that after the first chapter of Yechezkel and the vision of the chariot revealing to Yechezkel uh, some kind of uh, um, depiction of what is going on in the heavens, and the Rambam will explain all of that at the beginning of section 3, the, the beginning of chapter 2 starts with Vayomer Eli, that God said to me, Ben Adam amor al raglecha va'adaber otach, stand on your legs and I will speak to, the, to you. And 
and then a spirit came into me this is all happening in within the prophetic experience and god stood me on my feet and then i heard a disembodied voice and it wasn't necessarily the voice of god it was just a, an ambiguous voice that was now speaking to me and was giving me now the instruction how i had to go to the jewish people and send them a message so those are the four possibilities that the rambam lists over here the rambam can either uh, see have a vision of himself speaking with god directly he can have a vision of hearing the voice of an angel he can have an image of a man speaking to him and sometimes he will just merely hear a disembodied voice after a prior vision then the rambam tells us something else the rambam tells us that the modulation of the voice of the speaker in the vision can also vary the rambam tells us that sometimes the voice thunders very loudly like a hurricane other times the voice will sound quite ordinary, like the voice modulation of a regular person speaking, so that nothing sounds strange or unusual about the voice that is speaking. It's almost like you're hearing the voice of a prophecy the same way that you would hear my voice speaking to you or the friend, a friend of yours when you're having a conversation uh, over coffee. That's how the voice would sound. So sometimes it's, it's a quite scary and loud thundering voice, and sometimes it's a quite ordinary voice. And the Rambam provides verses uh, as well to support this idea. But this second idea that, that sometimes a prophetic voice will be in a very ordinary um, sounding and very um, even-keeled modulation of sound, um, uh, and, and also the above discussion of a prophet hearing a voice without an accompanying vision, will help us to understand a very unusual passage um, at the beginning of the book of Shemuel. At the beginning of the book of Shemuel, we encounter a young man, a Na'ar, whose name is Shemuel. He has been raised for his entire life up until that point by the high priest Eli, because we know the story of Hannah dedicating her son because God had given her this, uh, this miraculous child. And he was at the very beginning stages of prophecy. The, the, the scripture tells us, and this is from the first book of Shmuel, chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Um, Shmuel is lying in bed. His mentor, Eli, has already gone to, to his room, to, to his bedchamber. And all of a sudden, Vayikra Hashem el Shmuel vayomer hineni. God calls out to Shmuel in a prophetic voice. Shmuel says, here I am meaning, what, what can I do for you? Yes, I hear you. Vayorotz el Eli, he thought that the voice that he was hearing was the voice of his mentor, Eli, the, the high priest. Vayomer hinini ki karatali. And he says to Eli, um, Master, I am here. I heard you calling to me. What can I do for you? And then Eli says to him, Vayomer lo karati shuv shecha vayelech vayishkav. And Eli tells him, what are you talking about? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So then Shmuel goes back to bed. Vayosef Hashem Kero od Shmuel. God calls again to Shmuel. Vayakom Shmuel vayilech Eli. And what does Shmuel do? He's a young man, goes back to his mentor and says, uh, Rebbe, here I am. You called me again. And Eli says to him, Lo karati vini shuv shechav. I didn't call you go back to bed. And then in verse number seven, this is really the pivotal verse that the Rambam hones in on, Ushmuel terem yada et Hashem. Shmuel did not yet know God, 
v'terem yigale elav devar Hashem. And it was, it was not yet that God had revealed his word to him. Now, what do those words mean? And why are there two phrases in this verse? The verse is telling me that Shmuel was a neophyte. He was a beginner. And he had not yet been well-versed in the ways of hearing God's voice. But it's interesting that it mentions it in two different phraseologies. But the way, we'll get to that in just a minute. The, uh, the, the verses then continue, and it says that God calls to Shmuel a third time. He goes to Eli, thinking, once again, it's his master calling him. Eli then understands that Shmuel is having a prophecy. And he tells, Eli, Eli says to Shmuel, Lech elecha. If you hear the voice calling to you again, daber Hashem ki avdecha. You should say, speak, O Lord, because your servant is listening. Shmuel Shmuel then does that, and vayavo Hashem Shmuel 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 daber ki avdecha. And that's exactly what happened. God calls again, this time repeatedly, Shmuel, Shmuel, Shmuel responds, speak, O Lord, because your servant is listening. And that, it, that indicates that Shmuel finally understood after his master Eli explained to him. Now, what the Rambam wants to point out to us is that the double phrase, U Shmuel terem yada'at Hashem, Shmuel had not yet known God, and God had not yet revealed himself to him. What do those two phrases mean? That number one, Ushmuel term yada'at Hashem means that Shmuel this was, had not yet had a prophecy yet. This was Shmuel's very first prophecy. And the second thing is, Ushmuel the term yigale elav devar Hashem. It had not yet been revealed to him the word of God. He did not know that the voice of prophecy could be conveyed in such an ordinary kind of voice. And he also did not realize that sometimes the voice will be disembodied and will be conveyed without an accompanying vision. Now, that's the point of the Rambam in this chapter. And thus, he, he concludes the chapter on page 395 by saying, thus the interpretation of the verse with respect to its meaning is as follows. Before that time, Samuel had not become a prophet, neither did he know that such was the form of prophecy. And he says, know this. He's telling us that this is a very important principle, and I believe uh, just to help us understand this, and this is what my notes are in the bracket, note why it is important for the Rambam to underscore that prophecy didn't come spontaneously, sp spontaneously to Samuel without preparation. Now, if you recall, we go back to chapter 32, which was the opening chapter where the Rambam talks about how prophecy comes to an individual. The Rambam had told us that there's a provincial view that's out there in the Jewish world, that if a person is righteous, but has done nothing to prepare his himself intellectually to receive prophecy, he could still just be, um, you know, just um, uh, endowed with prophecy spontaneously, just because he's a good person, a righteous person, a very uh, devoutly religious person, and all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, one day he'll receive a prophecy. Now, when you read the story of Shmuel in his youth, it almost sounds like that's what's happening to Shmuel. And the Rambam wants to say that would be a misreading of this entire passage. That's not what was happening here. It's not that Shmuel didn't prepare himself. Shmuel had spent an entire period of apprenticeship with his mentor, Eli, to teach him how to meditate, 
and how to, to uh, uh, think about uh, the divine realm with his intellect and to prime himself and to prepare himself for the prophetic experience. Well, if that's the case, and the Rambam says that's necessarily so because we agree with the philosophers in that respect, that a person must have some kind of intellectual preparedness in order to be able to receive a prophecy. So if Shmuel was indeed preparing himself to, to receive nevuah, to receive prophecy, why didn't he understand what was going on when he heard the voice speaking to him? And the answer is, is because he had never had a prophecy before, and the voice came to him in a disembodied way, in a normal sounding voice, and he didn't realize that sometimes that's how prophecy comes to people. He thought that when he would have the prophecy that he was preparing to receive, it would be with a thundering, booming voice. And that's why he was misled and didn't understand what was going on. I also want to refer you to Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato's Derech Hashem, where he says very, a very similar idea as well. He emphasizes that Shmuel had spent his uh, entire uh, youth in Eli's home under Eli's mentorship, preparing for that experience, but it's still confusing because it was his very first time. Now, this chapter, and the reason why it's positioned over here, is to form the foundation and introduction, a sort of a preface to chapter 45, which will detail the 11 or 12 different levels of prophecy, which we're going to see now momentarily. So that really concludes our discussion of chapter 44. It's really sort of a bridge chapter, sort of to recap what we've learned up until now about prophecy and to let us know that the prophetic experience can be very variegated depending upon the level of the prophecy of the prophet and his preparedness to receive the vision and the voice also could depend upon the message. Uh, but here the Rambam, I believe, is really referring to the level of the prophet and how sometimes the prophet will hear and see different things depending upon his level of preparedness to receive the message. And that leads us into the, uh, the beginning of chapter 45. As you note, chapter 45 goes on for many pages because the Rambam has to clarify that there are different levels of prophecy and provide citations to show us all of the different levels. But we're just, so we're just going to start the chapter by going over, uh, starting with page 395. Um, and then we're gonna perhaps read a little bit from the Rambam's text itself. But based on the preceding explanations of prophecy, which are the way, and the Rambam opens up this uh, chapter by telling us, I have presented to you my understanding of the prophetic experience based on proper logical speculation and based on the tradition supplied to us by our Torah. Now, I will now present the different levels of prophecy. I'm sorry, that's a typo. I will now present the different levels of prophecy. The first two levels of the 11 presented are not actual prophecy, but rather stepping stones to prophecy, as we'll explain. The reason why the Rambam includes them in this list of different levels of prophecy is because sometimes scripture will say that God was with this person and it sounds like he's having a prophetic experience, but in reality he is on his way to prophecy. Those who achieve those levels are sometimes nonetheless called prophets generically, but they're not really prophets. And so the Rambam wants to let us know that prophets can vary in their degree of prophecy over the course of their lifetimes. And just, um, uh, just to read from the actual text itself on the bottom of page 395, bottom sentence. 
For with regard to the degrees I shall mention, it sometimes happens that some of the prophetic revelation of one particular prophet comes to him according to a form characteristic of a certain degree, whereas another prophetic revelation, which comes to him at another time, corresponds to a degree inferior to that of the first prophetic revelation. For just as a prophet may not prophesy continuously for his entire life, uh, just in other words, just as a prophet cannot maintain prophecy constantly, so too will he often fluctuate in his prophecy. One time he may have a superior level of prophecy, and then later in life have a reduced type of prophecy. And so th that's really the point that the Rambam wants to bring in this introduction to the 11 levels that he's going to present to us. All prophets cease being prophets sometime before they die, whether that time frame of the cessation of prophecy is long or short. And this is demonstrated by two great prophets, the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet David. And we know this because at the very beginning of the book of Ezra, it says, Uvishnat achat melech paras devar Hashem that after the cessation of prophecy from the mouth of Jeremiah, these are the events that took place, and this is the opening of the book of Ezra. So scripture goes to great lengths to point out to us that Jeremiah was no longer prophesying at this time, and it was it was like sort of the introduction of a new era an era of rebuilding, whereas Jeremiah represented the era of destruction and lamentation, the new era was coming. Why? So Yirmiya, uh, the way that the Rambam seems to present it is that all human beings go through different stages of development in the course of their lifetimes. And as a person, when a person is young, he is very immature and does, it, it needs time to develop the maturity to be able to receive prophecy because he needs time to develop his intellect. But then there comes a time of old age where prophecy begins to wane. I might have thought otherwise. I might have thought that the older a person becomes, the more in-depth in their prophetic vision can be. But no, just like many people lose their cognitive abilities as they get older, so too the prophetic experience begins to depart from an individual as they enter into their senior years. And so this is witnessed by Jeremiah, and it's also witnessed by King David. David It says in second book of Shmuel, chapter 23, these are the final words of David. So we see that long before David died, we don't know exactly how long it was, but certainly a certain amount of time before David died, he said his last prophetic words of praise and singing to, to God. Okay, that's the introduction. Now that we know that different prophets prophesy on different levels, and even an individual prophet can have multiple different levels of prophetic experience over the course of his lifetime, let's talk about the first or lowest degree of prophecy, which the Rambam said is not really prophecy, but it's near prophecy, and it's called being with God, um, and it's, it's sometimes depicted as the person being a prophet. And the way that I'd like to frame it, even though the Pines edition doesn't translate it this way, is what the Rambam is describing here is a heroic figure, a person who was stirred to act valiantly on behalf of a community or righteous individual. And this being is called in scripture, being filled with the Ruach Hashem, with the Spirit of God. Or it says, Vayihi Hashem Imo, that God was with him. And you find this many times, especially in the book of Shoftim, because as the Rambam points out, 
there really were no prophets in the times of the Shoftim, in the, in the early period of when the Jews were first uh, settling the land of Eretz Yisrael, there was a lot of chaos in the very incipient stages of the inhabita the inhabitant the habitation of the land of Israel of after Joshua conquered it. Joshua, of course, was a prophet, but the early leaders of the Jewish people, who themselves were not kings and were not prophets, were called shoftim because they possessed some kind of divine stirring within them that caused them to behave heroically and to save other people. And that when a person does this and saves and acts valiantly and heroically, sometimes scripture says that God was with them. An example of this is, in the, is the story of Shimshon in Shoftim chapter 14. It says, Vayered Shimshon timnata, that Shimshon and his parents go to Timna, Vayavoad Karme Timnata, they get to the vineyards, and there was a lion roaring to greet them, because lions were endemic to the land of Israel in the ancient world. That he ripped apart the lion to save his parents, but it says that the Spirit of God succeeded to rest upon him. So that's an idea that, that God is with him, God may be even endowing him with a certain kind of, of supernatural strength, or maybe it was just the adrenaline that rushed in him that gave him this tremendous power, but it says that God was with him because the, Shimshon was acting heroically, valiantly. Another example is where it just says generically about all of the Shoftim in chapter 2, verse 18, Hashem lahem shoftim, that God would set up Shoftim judges, for all of the Jews throughout this period between their settlement of the land and the, the first King Saul, and God was with the judge, and his role was to save the Jews from their enemies, for all the days of the judge. Okay, so this is the level of all the judges of Israel and also of the anointed kings of Israel or those who were appointed by God. So, for example, in first book of Shmuel, chapter 11, where it talks about the success of King Saul, that the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard that the Jews were under attack, and he became very upset, and it was stirred within him a spirit of being heroic and uh, fighting on behalf of the Jewish people. And that's a sign that he is... Uh, destined to be the king of Israel, and that's the reason he does become the king of Israel, because he is filled with this sense of, of um, a desire to save his brethren. And also, even if you're not a king, but you're anointed, let's say, as the Kohen, or as a leader within the people, Veruach Lavsha et Amasai Rosh HaShalishim, right, the, the head, one of King, uh, one of King David's leaders, one of his most trusted leaders was adorned with uh, the spirit of God, um, and and that is uh, that that is also an indication that he is of this kind of level, and that is why the Torah says that this is why Moshe was moved to slay the Egyptian and to act heroically, and why even though he was in a state of fear when arriving to Midian, he acted heroically with Yitro's daughters. It means that God was with Moshe in this sense. 
It's not that Moshe had yet achieved prophecy, but when he chose to act heroically from, the, from his very youth, God was with him in this sense. And therefore we could call him a prophet even in his earlier times, even though he hasn't yet achieved prophecy. And the same was true of David's heroism, in particular in his defeat of Goliath of Goliath. Uh, as it says, Vayikach Shmuel at Karen HaShemen, that uh, Shmuel, the prophet, takes the horn of oil and he anoints David, Vatitzlach Ruach HaShem El David, and the Spirit of God rested upon David, Mehayom Hahu Vamala, from that day forward. It doesn't mean that David was in a constant state of prophecy, as we've explained, it just means that there is a certain type of heroic spirit because the, the person himself is stirred towards heroism and valiance, the, the Spirit of God is with that person, coming to that person's aid. Another example with King David, Bayomer David el Shaul, Ro'e Hayav Dechale Aviv Batson, that uh, uh, early on uh, King David goes ahead and uh, is able to kill a lion and a bear to show him that he has the gumption and the ability to defeat Goliath um, and, and to defeat that, that Philistine that is threatening the Jews. And as the Rambam concludes, he says, such a spirit of the Lord by no means caused one of these to speak anything. No one spoke words of, of prophecy. Rather, its object was to move the one strengthened by it to a certain action. The person started off with a spirit of heroism and because God came to that person's aid and sort of strengthened that person's heroic streak, uh, the person was able to act valiantly and successfully, not to any chance action, but to an action that helps a wronged one or a community. And finally, just like we don't say that because a person has had a true dream, he is a prophet, we similarly don't say that just because a person has been aided by God, that he's been filled with the spirit of Hashem. Rather, this term is reserved only for those who act heroically, such as Joseph, whose actions resulted in great things afterwards. And of course, the Rambam cites Vayihi Hashem Imo, that God was with Joseph when he was in the prison. And, uh, and it was because of his her heroic streak that already pre-existed God's coming to his aid, that God comes to the aid of the heroic figure, imbues him with greater strength, greater ability, greater sense of heroism and responsibility, and that is what causes the hero of, this, of the Tanakh story to succeed. So it's not prophecy, it's just the first degree of what we would call the prophetic uh, experience, only in a borrowed sense when we say that God is with the person. We will continue with the other 10 levels of prophecy in Mirzeh Hashem next time, but this provides us with a good foundation and, uh, and we, will, we will hold it here for today. So that's it for now. Let me wish you a good week and Bezrat Hashem will continue this next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you, you too.